Hello. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Dan. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty uh, good. You, you running know, around, uh, running around. A little too You've much. been running around. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, getting it done. Uh, I've got a few, a, a few sort of uh, alerts uh, that you should be uh, aware of. Okay. One of them is uh, that there's some kind of woodpecker or other. I think it's without question a woodpecker. I haven't gone outside to investigate it, but it's that time of year, and this particular woodpecker has decided that the wall of my house is where it's hearing. Um, some bug that it wants to eat. Okay. And so periodically it will land pretty close to where I am and do some woodpecker thumps. Okay. So just FYI, if you hear something that sounds like a woodpecker. Okay. It is. In this case, it actually is a woodpecker. <laughs> okay. And the other alert is that um, very much like a woodpecker, my daughter is on her spring break. Is she in the room? Well, she is. So uh, on Monday when uh, when I recorded Roderick on the line, I told her to go downstairs and play, and she snuck up and gradually worked her way up into, effectively into my lap while I recorded. Today, we've worked out a different arrangement where she's laying here listening to the Beatles <laughs> on headphones, <laughs> and uh, she has she has her uh, her bed bunny, and she's watching as the podcast gets recorded and we'll see how long it lasts before there's an interruption there may, it may go, we may talk the entire length and, uh, no interruptions or she may start tapping on the computer with her fingernails right. in a sort of way that's very similar to the way that I do like sort of, right. Or she may just suddenly have a question about why, um, uh, while my guitar gently weeps, uh, why the guitar playing doesn't sound like George Harrison. You know, anything could happen. Do you want me to leave that in or edit it out, or what? what's your preference? Oh, well, I mean, you know, our podcast is very much, as God made it, uh, natural style. Right. Right? And so, I mean, I don't think that she will cause any interruption that, that won't be just as a, just a, a part of the natural world. Unless she starts like reeling off her vital statistics or talking about her, the location of her school, in which case I will say, you know, right, we'll edit that out. Sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, far, yeah, so good. She's pretty quiet. So I think we'll. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's. I'm not sure what, what song is playing right now, um, largely because I don't know how to use the internet. Oh, it's. Uh, she's listening to Magical Mystery Tour. Nice. Oh, hang on. She's already got already a direction. What is it? Oh, the music stopped playing? I'm sorry. Not there. Good. Well, whatever the problem was, I fixed it. So, uh, <laughs> you did an unusual thing today, which is text me and say, is there anything I want to talk about? And you've never done that. And I, I assumed that you knew that I began every podcast without any foreknowledge no i assumed you i assumed you had a, an agenda that you're you as a master storyteller are able to work into the regular conversation without any effort whatsoever oh no 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 every uh every podcast largely every podcast i've ever done i um i pursue a where the day takes you philosophy i start the podcast with a mind completely blank and then wait for either my uh, interlocutor, who right. in this case is you, yes. either uh, to uh, to inspire some some beginning or uh, like the first thing that pops into my head, which is usually something along the lines of why are people such shitty drivers? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, we just uh, we tumble along. But no, 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 I never start a start a show with any any notion of what I want to say. So, uh, but, but having, uh, having sent that text, it implies, or it suggests the question, why do you ask? What, what, do you have something in mind that you would like to, uh, just some topic you'd like to broach right off the top? Yeah. It's something that is just sort of a, a conversation starter, if you will. 
Okay. But it's something I wanted to get your take on. If you remember back in when we first started doing this show, I asked you a question about, do you ever drive around with your arm just poking out? Yeah, right. Or hanging out out the side of the, the car door? Which you felt was, was unnecessarily risky. Very risky. Something that you probably shouldn't do. And so there's something else that occurred to me. I was thinking about this. And someone asked me this. And, and it occurred to me that this is a phenomenon that I'm not sure if it's as prevalent now as it was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Whistling in the bathroom. If you, if you go, this was almost always the case 10 years ago. Now it seems to happen less. You'd go to the restroom. You might be one of two, three guys in there. Inevitably, uh-huh. a guy walks in. And he starts whistling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he'll whistle and he'll whistle throughout the urination process usually. And right. once that's done, he'll stop, maybe start up again while he's washing his hands if he's lucky enough to do that. Yeah. And then he's out of there. But I noticed the, the way that it came up is I was, uh, I was watching a, something on YouTube about a woman who could do these really great accents. And one of the accents she did was an Irish accent. And it reminded me of a friend that I had in uh, high school who was from Ireland, uh, very recently from Ireland. And he made a comment that no, nobody here, meaning the United States, uh, sings while they're walking around, just sings, sings aloud as they're walking from, one store to another store from their house to work or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, he said, no one's common in Ireland. According to him, it, it's at the time was common and normal and expected and whistling. He said too. Yeah. There and, are very musical people, the Irish. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So now I remembered that and I started thinking, where do, do I ever hear whistling or singing? Or anything, and it occurred to me that the only place that I ever really hear people whistling is like dudes in the bathroom that are whistling. And I also came to remember that perhaps it's an older generation that does the whistling. I don't know many people my age or younger who would who would whistle unless they're trying to get the attention of a I don't know, a taxi or something. Huh? Do you whistle? Is it something you find yourself doing while you're working in the wood shop or anything like that? Or what's your take on, on whistling in a bathroom? And is it a pee shy kind of a thing? What's your take on this? Whistling in general too, huh? Uh, my uncle Cal, who was my father's brother-in-law, um, whistled absent mindedly, absent whistling, um, uh, constantly. It was his, it was how you knew he was around. Right. He'd be sort of idly uh, strolling around the house or working on, you know, it's not that he, he, he didn't work on stuff like somebody who has a shop. He worked on stuff like sorting mail or straightening artworks or something, but he would wander around his house sort of like, And it's just like sort of tuneless, yeah. but not out of tune. Um, right. Not out of, of tune. Just simply it's, it's not, he's not whistling his favorite song or a song you heard once at a dance when he was a kid. He's just, it's a sound that he's making. That's right. It's no, there's no m- melody to it or if there, and what's interesting I think about it is that that style of whistling does develop little melodies. Well, so anyway, I didn't, I didn't inherit this to from him because we're not uh, we're not related by blood, he and I. But uh, and he's now passed away. But I sort of took that I took his habit as a kind of license to explore that as well. My dad, you know, my dad whistled to get attention. You know, like that to style a big right 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 big, like curled on you know two fingers in the mouth style yeah whistling. i can't do that whistle me either uh, even though uh, even after a lifetime of trying i know <laughs> and he uh and he may have whistled you know uh occasionally but but from my uncle cal i felt somewhat liberated to explore melodies as i 
puttered around. And when I'm out for walks, sometimes I, you know, sort of not walks like right down the middle of the sidewalk in the middle of a busy day, but, you know, walks out in the the country or whatever, I'll start to kind of So telling a little a little story to yourself, maybe. Yeah, that's right. A little jazzy sort of, you know, big band style. And what's great about those, you know, those big band kind of the the different melodies that will pop out of a of a big band tune where the tune itself is is puttering along, and then you'll get the trumpets that are and it's not the main theme. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a supporting mm-hmm. sub theme. <laughs> and those melodies are always really fascinating to me, the way they interact with the, with the larger band. And a lot of times, if you listen to the long winter's music, you'll hear that there are sub melodies, supporting melodies happening that come from that, come from growing up listening to that kind of jazz. Like I, I've said it before, but we didn't really listen to modern jazz because I think my dad found the, found the melodies that are in modern jazz too obtuse and modern jazz does kind of have a similarity to that. Maybe even closer to what Cal does that like, but you know, not even, not even that much melody. Dad just didn't like it. He was like, you know, did this, did they forget? Did they lose their sheet music? Is it upside down? He had a lot of things to say about it. Um, but so I, I do whistle. And if I'm way, way out in a field and I, there's nobody around that I could be disturbing. Um, will you I sing? Will, uh, so I'm not Irish, right? I'm Welsh. And what I think the Welsh tradition is more to tell sad poems where everyone dies uh, rather than to walk around going, Arr, my sweetie was some kind of pain in the ash and died in a shipwreck. Uh, the Welsh had a different thing, which is just like the Romans came and we hit them with rocks and the Britons <laughs> came and we hit them with rocks, but uh, ultimately it was not enough. And they, then now, now look at us. <laughs> now we have last names and we and none of us speak our own language, even though we make, <laughs> even though we put it all over all our street signs. None of us can read. None of us here in Wales can even read our own street signs. But that doesn't stop us. God damn it. Uh, so no, I don't really. I'm not. I you know everyone. There are a couple of songs that I will sing if I'm way out in the country, and one of them is, um, "Come on, come on, now touch me, babe." Yeah. Can't you see that I am not afraid? Ba-na-ba-na. And I'll actually do the horn parts. That's one of them. And um, there are a couple of Beatles songs. But no, typically I'm not, I'm not absently singing. But I will whistle and I will get – what happens out in the country is that I like to, I like to whistle loudly. Mm. You know, like – well, I can't do it right here in the house, but – Try and get the highest note I can. Mm-hmm. Try and get the lowest. Um, you're just practicing whistling and having a good time with it. But I've never, it's not like I've ever whistled in a song. I don't whistle. It's not like I whistle professionally. But I would not go into a bathroom and whistle because of, of what you said just a second ago, whatever it was, pee shy. Pee shy, yeah. It just seems like. Yeah, I know. You know, it's it's like uh, Charlie Watts said to Keith Richards when Keith came to the Charlie Watts show at uh, at a bar in, you know, like one of those underground clubs in Manhattan. And Keith is sitting out there and is like, Charlie, Charlie Watts. I've good buddy. That's my drummer, Charlie Watts. <coughs> Charlie's doing his jazz show or whatever. And eventually Charlie Watts leans into the microphone and says, we all know you're here, Keith which has always struck me as a real, <laughs> it's a real good indication of how, how close they are or how close Charlie feels to Keith. And also like one of the ultimate slams, Sean Nelson and I will periodically say to one another, we all know you're here, Keith. 
but that's what I mean. Like you don't, yeah, like, we all know you're here, buddy. We all know you're in the bathroom like the rest of us and going to the potty and it's okay. You have to unzip your pants. So it's not weird. You have to feel weird about it. So that kind of like forced joviality where the person isn't even, you know, person's just like, I'm cool. Hey, how, what's up you guys? I'm just in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, not. I, I just, I felt like this is something that I'll, and I'll still see it. It still happened once in a while. And I think it has to be, I think it has to be a, a P shy yeah, yeah. kind of a thing, which we should explain what that is. Cause I feel like there's, Anybody who's listening to this program who doesn't know what pee shy means. I mean, I had never heard the phrase, but I, I understood immediately what it is. And if you, do you think yeah. it's the same for our, our, our female listeners? No, because I don't think there is that public performance of peeing. Right. They um, typically get to, uh, go into an enclosed area, be in their spent, zone. Not having spent a lot of time in uh, women's room, I can only imagine that probably there are women who are very chatty in the bathroom and some who are not just, just basing this on my knowledge of human beings. There would be some who are like, I'm in my, I'm in my sanctum centorum now, please do not try and engage me in conversation. And someone sitting next to them who's like cute shoes, or right. whatever. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure that that happens. Do you have uh, certain rules that you adhere to or want others to adhere to in the bathroom or no, you... because I'm not, I don't live a rule based life. Yeah. So other, I mean, there are certain rules that I think are part of the part of living in a public sphere. And those rules are all encapsulated in like a few umbrella rules. Keep moving, get out of the way being one and do not intrude upon others. And one of the reasons I don't whistle when I'm walking down the sidewalk is that imposing your music on someone else just feels in, just it's intrinsically rude, whether it's your headphones being too loud on a bus or whether it is your car stereo blasting with the windows down at two o'clock in the morning through a neighborhood or whether it's walking down the street, whistling at the top of your whistle. Like, you know, I think in Ireland, the expectation is different. We're all just merry lads here with the souls of poets <laughs> and we started drinking in the morning. And so, you know, singing in the street is maybe much more part of the culture, but our culture, particularly in the Northwest with its Scandinavian reticence mm -hmm. and its Quaker sense of propriety, I would never think that my musicality was craved by strangers. Right. Or even welcomed by them. Just as I don't imagine when I get on an airplane that my comfort, whatever my comfort is, takes precedence over the comfort of the group. And so I do not bring a pizza onto an airplane. I do not take my shoes off on an airplane, et cetera. Right. right. We've been through that a yes. times. And yes. the people in the world who think that their comfort, that as they explore the depths and breadth of their own comfort, that it isn't intrusive on others because it's happening in their own <laughs> little bubble that kind of sense of, that a lot of people have that they are in a bubble. Uh, and this is all the people that talk on a phone in a restaurant, but also people that talk on a phone in a waiting room. Um, I was, I was at a doctor's office the other day and a woman across the, across from me kept taking phone calls and talking in the voice that you would talk. Not, I mean, she's not shouting into the phone. But she's just talking like this into the phone. I mean, seriously, louder than I'm talking to you on this podcast. She's just, it's not even a conversation. It's like a tone as though phones don't work very well. <laughs> right, yeah. And she's talking about her medical condition. And she's not, the thing is, she is not, there's no aspect of her that's registering as crazy or rude. She's a, seems like a, a nice lady. Uh, she's talking about interesting things even. But and she's my age or older, but somehow she is a person that doesn't find that intrusive. And I'm reading a magazine, but I cannot read the magazine because 
there's one side of a conversation happening 10 feet from me. And so I am powerless, powerless not to eavesdrop. Um, and that is an example. And it's so, so do I live a rule-based life? Like, like I'm in the toilet and I expect you to, you know, follow my Byzantine rules. No, the general rule of being in a culture, being in, being with other people is do not intrude upon them. And that's just a, you know, that's just overarching. Now, if the guy next to me is like, what about those Mariners? I, it doesn't, it doesn't upset me. I'm going to be like, yeah. And that's a cue, right? I'm not pursuing this conversation. But again, like it doesn't, I don't, I don't walk out and think about it all afternoon. I just am always surprised that, um, because that, that kind of social grace, it wasn't even that it was hammered into me. It was that I guess from a young age, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to hear your music, sir. Why are you, why do we all have to listen to it for the length of time that we're in your company? Right. Person with a boom box. Um, so, I mean, I would say that these, these are, when I asked you if you had rules, these are the kind of rules I was thinking of in that, yeah. in that rules, rules for yourself, rules for proper, respectful behavior. Yeah. I guess like, I guess everyone who has rules thinks that their rules are completely natural and need no explanation. So right. I guess, I guess I should reevaluate myself and say, yes, absolutely. I do have rules. Yes, I do have pretty nitpicky and meticulous rules that I follow pretty carefully and I'm shocked and dismayed when other people don't follow them. And I guess, you know, uh, maybe it, I mean, clearly it sounds crazy to some people because I get a lot of pushback from this stuff. Why shouldn't I be able to take my shoes off and wear my pajamas and eat a pizza on an airplane? I paid for my ticket. I mean, I get that kind of, I get that kind of letter from people all the time who really are kind of righteous about it. And maybe yes. it is, maybe to them, I sound like some crazy evangelical who's like, you must wear a tie and cufflinks whenever leaving the house. Well, okay. So here's an example. I was in, we have a, a Whole Foods not far from here and there is a lot of seating. So they've got sort of an upstairs area there's, that's there's seating. At oh the, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So there, oh. there's an upstairs because they prepare all the, all the food. So upstairs, oh, Dan, I've been to this whole foods in Austin. Oh the, no, no, no. That's, that's not one. There's three like that. Now oh. you've been to the big one down off uh sixth street. Yeah. I went to that. Big yeah. One. That's okay. They so 400 kinds of olives. Yes. Now they have two other ones like that. One is just as big and it's way up North. And then there's one that's smaller that has lim limited seating. But I'm talking about one like the one you're imagining now. So imagine the one that you've been to. It wasn't that one. It was the other one. But there was a guy, a bigger guy, and he was sitting at at one of these tables by a window, which are intended for people to eat at. And there were lots of other people all around. It was lunchtime. They were professionals from the close by office complexes for the most part. Uh, and friends getting together, having lunch, lots of people. And he had taken his sneaker off. Oh, yeah. And the disgusting, beat up, nasty sneaker wasn't just off of his foot. It was sitting up next to him, next to his food, on top of the table. On the table. On the table. Okay. And this, it never, it, it was, it's not like, you know, it's not like it occurred to him, well, I probably shouldn't put my shoe up here, but I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. I, I think yeah. it was so, it was just, it was simply second nature to him to take his shoe off a and B that it, why not? I'll put it up here on the table. It didn't even occur. Mm -hmm. I would have second thoughts about putting it on, on a chair. If, if for some reason, God well, forbid I had to off. take it off in the, in public in the first place. Yeah. You wouldn't take it off. I mean, if your foot was bleeding, and you went to the supermarket to get some band-aids. I'm going to do you that would, in the car. Yeah, or you would go out into the parking lot and yeah. go to the back corner of it and do your do your medicine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I, I honestly, I think, what is this? Is this a thing that happens when you're a child? I mean, because children, as you know, will, I mean, would 
like reach into their diapers and and throw it on the wall in church if you didn't teach them not to do it. And so maybe it is that they don't, they didn't learn it at home, but then somehow they also didn't learn it from other people, right? There was never a time, because there are a lot of things we learn that come as a result of other kids at school going, are you serious right now? Exactly. Not only like you don't know how to use a, you don't know how to jump off the swings, but like other kids will say a lot of things like not just your, is that really how you comb your hair? But like, I mean, I remember when I started to really interact with girls at school as they went through puberty before I did. And all of a sudden there were a lot of new rules about interacting with girls. Cause when you're in fourth grade, there aren't any rules. It's just like your kids, you're all kids. Right. When you're in seventh grade, there are now rules about how to behave and you don't just, you're not just a kid anymore cause they don't feel like kids anymore. And, and so, I mean, I got a lot of lessons dealt out pretty harshly about what a dork I was and and, you know, some of it shaped me up. And that's just the sort of peer enculturating that I'm surprised all the time when, when someone, and I, you know, I, obviously in my role as tech culture critic, I do feel that particularly in the last 25 years, the the idea that libertarianism equals freedom or that libertarianism doesn't affect other people. You know, it's the anarchist mentality of like, well, you know, your laws shouldn't apply to me. And in a world without laws, everyone will be self-governing and self-governance is the, is, um, when self-governance arrives, then everyone will be self-governing at the end, you know, or, um, I don't want to be governed by you. Therefore no one should. And if everyone else is a monster and, civilization descends into chaos. That's not my problem because I am over here generating my own electricity with my, with the methane that comes from under my sheets or whatever. And, uh, you know, I like, I, I love the idea of, um, I love the, I love the, well, I love the idea of saying to any anarchist, you live in a house with 10 people that practices anarchy and let's see how it goes and report back in six months. Hang on just a second. Yes, darling. That did not need to be announced. Well, fine. She is so much better behaved than either of my kids. (laughs) But there is an aspect uh, about her that um, where she, you know, she does announce things that are just, you know, like, dad, I'm going through the door now. Like, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, both my kids do that. Well, I'll alert the media, darling. Anything like, that's going on, I'm I'm going over here now. All right, I've got to go yeah. poop. All right, <laughs> you know how to do it. You know how to handle it. Don't I just sent to... I just sent you uh, over messages a photo. I did not take this photo. This was taken by one of the people that I was having lunch with that I was meeting at the Whole Foods, uh, and. Um, and they took this photo of the gentleman that I'm describing. Oh, I'm not sure I want to see it. No, Why you want to see it. See you want to see it. I want you to have the full, the full visual. He's got the shoe. Oh, he's on his computer. Yeah, he has. This is not a, this is not a person without means. He has a computer. He's got a, a Starbucks nice, cup. nice Starbucks cup. And that is cup. his shoe? That doesn't even look like a shoe. Yeah, it's a oh, shoe. Oh, I see what it is. I see it's a and shoe. You can see the other, the, the, the socked foot on underneath I it. I really, I like the way his computer looks, actually. It's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> a little um, like the, Eddie Van Allen's guitar in a way. But he is carrying a, a very large backpack. I mean, you know, you can never know for sure. It's the type of thing, like if somebody's talking very loudly into a phone in a, in a place where, like a, like a waiting room, where there's just no other option. Like I'm here because I have to wait also for this thing. And I can't, there's no side waiting room. I'm not going to go stand on the sidewalk to get away from your phone call. And in situations like that, I will sometimes put my book down and just put my, like put my chin on my hands and just join the conversation that they're having on the phone. Like, 
I've done this before and it's pretty, what is the, what do I want to say about this? It is a little aggressive. Yeah. But they'll say something, you know, well, and then I said, you know, she'd better not. And I, and I was sitting across the room will go, ha, 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 yeah, she deserved it or whatever. <laughs> and the person will, you know, the person will try and ignore me Yeah, and kind of look down and talk, but you know, not really change their game at all. They're still right, having sure. their conversation and they'll say another thing that, you know, that I'll respond to like, what? Oh my God, that's and there have been a couple of times when the person has said, can I help you? I'm like, oh, well, I mean, you know, you're having your conversation full on in the room. I just thought, you know, thought it was more of a performance. And, you know, one time I got into a fight with a guy. I mean, this isn't a thing that I would do to some. This isn't a thing that I would do where I was punching down. Right. This is usually it usually <laughs> happens where it's some guy who. <laughs> just has, you know, a big voice and has no sense that this isn't how to be. Um, but, but it's a, you know, it's definitely like a, an example of me doing some social corrective, which maybe isn't, it's really hard to know what your, what your place in the world is, right? Because these big guys that come into a, that come into a hotel lobby or into a restaurant or into a waiting room and they, you know, they manspread and they take over. Right. I think a lot of people are intimidated to confront these guys. And it's an, it's this thing that we're always talking about, about, uh, the male privilege of a certain kind. And like what it just sort of this, it's a, it's an ugly performance of obliviousness and it's never occurred to them that they aren't the most important person in the world. And, you know, a lot of people, I think most people are probably intimidated and I'm fortunate enough, uh, not to be intimidated by people like this. And also to recognize that it's rude and that they're, that they could stand a little bit of correction. So I do periodically get into that kind of, not exactly confrontation, but, but I will lean in. I'll right. lean into to those things and say like, Hey pal, one time in, um, Chattanooga, Tennessee, in a in a, in a hotel lobby, some guy sat down on a couch in the little couch seating area mm -hmm. and, and, um, started with his, his super loud conversation as though he was the only, not the only person in the room, the only person in the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, that, and I did this same thing like, wow, well, you know, tell your grandmother that I said hi. And he got in my face about it. And I mean, not, he didn't like stand up and come get threatening in my face. He was just like, mind your own business type of thing from where he was sitting. And I was like, I was trying to, mm. I was trying to mind my own business, but all of a sudden your business filled the room and he started talking into the phone about there's a guy here who's incredibly rude. And I was like, there is a guy here. Who's <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and he eventually got up and like stormed like tantrumy stomp, stomp, stomping his feet out onto the sidewalk and then stood on the sidewalk glaring at me through the glass. And it sounds uh, like you'd ruined his afternoon. I, I had never felt better. Um, and what was interesting about that day was, strangely enough, there was an F-104 that appeared to be privately owned that was strafing the town. Um, well, the strangest thing I'd ever seen. First of all, you don't see F-104s in flight very often at all. For, for those uninformed, that's Lockheed F-104 Starfighter. That's right. A single-engine uh, supersonic interceptor aircraft. Um, which... There are none of anymore. They don't. It's not even at an air show. You would be hard pressed to find an F-104 flying through the air. And this one had, you know, most of the time uh, a former jet fighter like that will be in the, the, um, the livery or livery, I guess, livery of the armed forces. It would be in air force markings, but this one just had some, uh, just like blue paint or it just seemed blue and gray paint. Like it was, 
either someone's private craft or some very sinister company that was testing their um, testing their airborne weapons platform over the over the skies of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And you know those are those airplanes did not have to be quiet, right? They they were built purposely to be super loud in mm-hmm. order to scare the enemy or something. So it was intentional. They they wanted them to be loud. Old fashioned jet fighters, and in in fact contemporary jet fighters. The manufa- general dynamics or, or Lockheed or whatever, they are not – I guess Lockheed doesn't exist anymore. But whoever's making a- airplanes, um, Grumman, like the military doesn't say, can you make it so that these can fly over cities and not rumble people's fillings out of their teeth? They don't say that. They say, can you make this thing as loud as possible so that when we're strafing some uh, village, it sounds – I mean just the sound is murdering people. <laughs> so anyway, this jet is, I mean, Chattanooga is not the biggest town in the world and it's in a valley and this jet is just like, wow. And I, I, let me see, had I ever even seen one in flight before? I'm not, I don't, I don't exactly recall, you know, growing up near Elmendorf Air Force Base in the late seventies, there was a whole weird host of planes that came and went. But I don't think any F-104s were still in the air. So, long story short, that was a weird day. I got into this thing with this guy at the uh, at the hotel, and then I went out, and there was this 60s interceptor flying around in the sky, which seemed like it should be illegal. And, uh, yeah, then I went over to the train station and, and read all the little placards about the Chattanooga Choo Choo, which, of course... I was, I was thrilled to be doing. That was one of the first songs I ever, I ever sang out loud as I walked around. Chattanooga Choo Choo. Really? When I was a kid, when, as soon as I had progressed from singing kid songs into singing grown-up songs, um, most big band songs don't have lyrics or don't have lyrics that anybody knows. You know, like, you know the lyrics to Take the A Train? I'm sure there are some. Nobody knows them. Cause that, that music is largely instrumental unless you're talking about Andrew's sisters and like, you know, boogie woogie bugle boy from company B. Right. But most of that, most of that stuff is, is meant to be instrumental. And I think actually a lot of those songs have lyrics written that are never performed, but because there's a writing credit for the lyrics, they had lyrics attached to them. And then I mean, you could write the lyrics to a big band song and get a ton of publishing money, I would guess, even though no one ever heard them. I'm not exactly sure how that pans out, but I think that's true. But Chattanooga Choo Choo was one of those vocal, a big band vocal number. And, um, and I learned the lyrics as a kid and I would actually walk around, you know, hands behind my back, strolling through the woods. There's going to be. A certain party at the station. Yeah, yeah. Satin and lace. I used to call funny face. She's going to cry, bum, bum, till I tell her that I'll never roam. I mean, you know, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I think the number of times I've sung that song is into the thousands. And so the first time I went to Chattanooga, I was pretty chuffed to be there. Wandered around the town trying to imagine what, like, this is where she lived? This is, you're coming here? That's interesting. It's kind of weird up here. Uh, it's a little bit, little, bit of, little bit up in the mountains. We would like to thank our sponsor. It's Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. And we have weird weather here in Austin. It'll go from being warm for a few days to, like, suddenly very cold especially this time of year. And you wouldn't think it's Texas, right? But that's what happens. And I have a, a Mack Weldon hoodie. And I always keep it with me, either in my car or in the office. So I can have it on hand. This is the thing I love about it. It's super well made. It's not bulky in any way, but it can be just the right amount of warmth, just stitched so nicely it's got another thing about this thing it's got really high quality 
uh, pulls for the hoodie instead of just like the cheap kind of strings. Really nice zipper, and the zipper is grippy. The little uh, the little thing you hold on the zipper, it's it's a little rubberized grippy thing, which is so nice. And the pockets are also zippered too, which I don't know if I've ever seen that on a hoodie before. Instead of you put your phone in there, you don't have to worry about it falling out. Little things like that. That is the kind of quality you're going to get with Mack Weldon. They believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. And uh, they say, they claim that they're the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you will ever wear. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go on the record and say I think that's true. I've got their no-show socks, so you don't have your, uh, your ugly socks hanging out over your sneakers if you're wearing uh, some short pants. Great, great t-shirts. Super comfortable underwear. That's the kind that have the antimicrobial, the silver woven into them that, that, uh, that John likes. It eliminates the odor. You want to be comfortable. And they know that this is shopping online, right? So they'll send you out, order a pair. If you don't like it, you think maybe it's not worth the money or something. That's all right. They let you keep it. That's how confident they are that you will like it. They will refund you. No questions asked. Although I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to be happy. And you're going to get a discount. Go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K, Weldon, MacWeldon.com, and get 20% off your purchase using the promo code ROADWORK. The reason they are sponsoring the show frequently is because you guys must be using the promo code and buying stuff with it. So thank you to all of you who are supporting the show. And if you haven't tried it yet, go ahead and give it a try. you got nothing to risk. Go order a pair or something and, and see, see what it's all about. And support the show in the process. Get yourself some nice clothes. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code ROADWORK. How's your girl doing? She seems to be doing well. She likes to hum along when music is playing. Oh. And she's got her headphones on. I ordered a new set of headphones. So I've got the new headphones and she's got the old headphones. And we are laying here together. I didn't know this was possible that I could be Skyping and she could be listening to iTunes at the same time on the same computer through different outputs. Nice. This is a very advanced thing you're doing over there. So having having worked that out, you know, now it's just like I'll never send her to school again. No, it doesn't need it. No, she'll just sit and listen to what she's listening to now. Wow, she's listening to Let It Be. Look out. Look out. Picture words of wisdom. I think there is something though to to make note of for this for this phenomenon of singing. If someone had stumbled upon you when you were out there singing, mm-hmm. maybe this even happened, mm-hmm. and someone stumbled upon you, would you say tears? Oh, ooh, I better stop, or would you keep? Would you keep going? Would you tone mm-hmm. it down? So a couple of different possible reactions, right? If you're just like. Would you be embarrassed? And you're no, you're head. a you're a singer too. I mean, people think of you as like you're a guy that's that sings. For people who yeah, don't, don't know about your podcasts, that's you're not true of me walking down a sidewalk. Well, people but maybe like, they recognize John. you. Uh, th- there would be a couple of different reactions. In most cases, if I was walking along singing absently to myself, thinking I was alone, and then somebody, and then somebody was there, I would get embarrassed and I would stop singing. But if I was singing kind of humming, bumming under my breath about a thing and it was a good kind of a big show tune style number and somebody was coming the other way and they knew me or if, as you like, uh, they recognized me or there was some element of it that suggested that we were living in a musical. Yes. So I'm walking down the street, they're walking down the street and I'm going – She's going to climb up and never roam. And then somebody goes, hey, John, I might very well go, oh, Chattanooga, choo-choo. Yeah. Won't you choo-choo me home? And they would be like, wahoo, and I'd grab them and spin them around. That has happened. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I, that would never be a thing that you could plan. There were, for a while there in my mid-20s, into my mid-30s, when I was a real romantic, and I was on a date with somebody and they were, and we were familiar. It's not like a first date, but they were familiar enough with me to know what they were getting into. 
I might occasionally grab them around the waist and pull them close on a city street and then sing to them as I dance with them mm. on a corner for a little bit. Some kind of thing in their ear, you know. Please don't wear red tonight. Some kind of little tune, but whisper, you know, whispered just for them. Right. And uh, maybe a couple of times did a little sort of like to give a little jazz to the dance because, you know, you're dancing, do a little dance. Yeah. A lot of people, maybe not surprisingly, like to be uh, entreated into a brief dance. You know, this isn't like at noon. I'm talking about at 11 o'clock. An evening, an evening kind of thing. Yeah, as we're leaving one place and going to the next. A little moment where where a dance springs upon one and one's date. So a few of those, a few moments, a few moments like that that even turned into, um, you know, the, the where my date responded very well to the music and then it turned into a slow dance mm. on the sidewalk that, you know, lasted the length of a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that was, was young and, and, uh, fancy free footloose. Yeah. But, but if a musical, if you're ever in a situation where you're, it's a sunny day and you're out high stepping around a town mm-hmm. and you get into a thing where you're stepping along and then somebody, you know, is coming the other way and it appears that they're stepping high and then third person comes up a, up an alley and you're like, hey, there he is. And whoa, hey, how sh- how's she doing? And then you can do start a little musical number there between the three of you. I highly recommend it. It seems so, like this seems almost fantastical to me. You're saying this has happened? Uh, when you live in a town, Seattle is a big town. You're saying this, the- is, this has happened. This kind of a musical event has taken place for you in real life. Yeah. Back in the back in the day when I knew a lot of musicians and we were all poor and the sun is out in the spring. And the thing about Seattle is a lot like a lot of northern towns, everyone is dressed um, in sleeping bags all year long, Gore-Tex sleeping bags with hats pulled down. And then on the first sunny day in the spring, basically everyone puts on as little as they can. You right. know, it's like there, there is a day in the spring when you look around and you go, where were all these beautiful people, right? Where have they been hiding? I had no idea that there were so many beautiful people in my city. And today everyone looks beautiful. And on days like that, when, you know, when people are wearing flowered dresses and, um, you know, and I mean, I'm not a fan of public tank tops, but flowered dresses and shorts and. See, you do have, you do have rules. They're just coming out piece by piece. I just said not a fan. Well, I didn't, you know, if you want to wear a tank that's top around. The, fa- the foundation of a fan. rule is is whether you're a fan of something or not, I propose. I suppose you're correct. I suppose you're right. I do have some, I do have some rules. Um, public tank tops. I mean, city tank tops. Mm-hmm. Beach tank tops, totally into. Frisbee tank tops, totally into. But like downtown tank tops, well, it's just like downtown flip-flops. It's like flip-flops anywhere that isn't. A sandy environment. I totally agree. Couldn't couldn't I'm, possibly agree more. What are you doing? It's not even like that. Appa- that offends me. It's more like that's that appalls me. Yes, I mean, you're um, you're a grown ass person. Stop it. I with agree. Those. I couldn't agree more. Um, but and and I guess that is. I mean, the more you make it sound, or the more you're you're pointing this out to me, it's not that you're making it sound. The more that I am listening to myself talk, um, I'm realizing that I am really like a. Uh, I am like a hen about some of these things and I'm sitting over here going bark, 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 bark. and uh, really it doesn't matter. I mean, if, if you want to carry a pizza and wear tank tops and, and uh, carry a boom box, that's, you know, why am I so bent out of shape? Right, I'm, sure. I'll tell you why, because it's the beginning of the end. It's the descent into madness. Yes. But that makes me sound like a crazy person too. So I'm not, of course. Of course not. It's other people that are bad. Yes. Um, but yes, so there have been moments in, I mean, I was walking down the street one time, this is back in the nineties and, um, 
a gal that I, uh, that I knew very well was coming the other way. And, um, she was a playwright and an actress and we were coming toward each other and we saw one another and you, and she's a theatrical person, but not a thespian. Let me be clear, not theatrical in that way where everything she does has to be a freaking show. Right. But like someone who truly knows how life can be like a fun play sometimes. Yes. And we're coming toward each other. And, you know, when you're young and in the arts, you don't need to say like, hi, how's it going? You can just recognize one another. And then, you know, uh, the play is the thing, right? Like what's going to happen next is the kind of thing. And on this particular day, she walked up to me and I walked up to her and she put her finger to my lips. Mm. Do not, do not talk. She said, close your eyes. I did. And then she put her headphones and this was, you know, tape Walkman days. She put her headphones on me and there was a mixtape playing and she didn't have to say another word. The understanding was I was going to keep my eyes closed. And she took me by the hand gently and for the next several hours walked me all the way, all around the city, guiding me with her using her hand to tell me when there was a step down or when we needed to stop or when there was a crack in the sidewalk. And she walked me all the way around the city. I had no idea where I was. After three blocks, I just lost my geographic sense. And so I was completely in her power. And she was a very, you know, just tiny person. But she had, she was guiding me with just the slightest little gentle kind of, you know, squeeze my hand, push me this way, push me that way. And I just walked around this mixtape played over and over double. It was one of those Walkman that could, you know, when it got to the end, it would click and then play the other side. Right. And this was some mixtape that she had made. That was, you know, this sort of in the style of the time, like this magical journey. And she walked me all around, all the way around the city. I never once thought to open my eyes. I never felt unsafe that I couldn't trust her that I was going to trip or that she was leading me astray. Like she just guided me around. And by the time I did open my eyes, it was like, um, it was like one of those things that happens sometimes when you're a teenager, when you and you know, your first girlfriend sit somewhere really small, you find some small corner, like in a closet and you sit there and talk for hours until the closet becomes your whole universe. And you can't imagine ever leaving this tiny little closet. And when you finally do, it's like, it's, it's, um, like a, like a, a, some spell breaks the, some magic right. breaks that you wish you wish never would need to. And when I opened my eyes and she took the headphones off, I didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. We looked at each other and then she walked away and I walked away the other way. And what are you going to do? What do you do about that? There's uh, there's nothing to do because, because you both, um, you both knew what that was. That's pretty cool. I don't think, you know, again, you sort of live in, in a kind of magical reality compared to what I think most people do. But I love that this stuff happens to you throughout your life consistently. So consistently. Well, I mean, I guess you have to, you have to invite it um, by being, by being ready to do magic for other people. Um, <laughs> one day I was walking down Broadway and, uh, on the opposite side of the street, there was a gal I knew coming the other way and we saw each other from across the street, you know, like, Oh, Hey. And we, you know, we loved each other and it was like, 
we were mid-block, right? So do we go up to the, you know, does she change direction or do I? Do we go up to the traffic light and wait for it to, to change? And then who goes to the other side of the street to meet whom? Who has an appointment or do we cross mid-block? I mean, it's a busy street in the middle of the day. And so we're standing there looking at each other. It's just far enough where you're like, where if you were going to try and have a conversation, it's like, Hey, where are you going? You know, this type of thing. Yeah. And just as we come next to each other and, um, and we're about to say like, what should, you know, what do we do next? One of those big double articulated buses comes on my side of the street headed in the direction I was traveling before. Um, and, and it's a situation where the bus is moving fast. So it's going to be, the bus goes between us and it's a double long bus. And then we're going to resume our conversation, right? Like we both see the bus just at the last minute, like, Oh, there's a bus and we're going to wait. It's, we're going to laugh as the bus goes between us. But as the bus goes, you know, like blocks our view of one another, I just start to sprint in the direction of the bus. Yeah. So that from her perspective, you had disappeared. This, this fast bus goes by and I'm gone. And yeah, love this. I love this. Not, and not visible as far because the bus keeps going. And I just was running as fast as I could to keep up with this bus. So that from her perspective, because it was not like I went into a shop or anything. I had just evaporated. And then having done that, you, you don't like go walk back. I just got on with my day. Yeah, you're gone. That's <laughs> and, it. And uh, I mean, and I did. I got up somewhere, you know, far enough away that it, that it was it would be implausible for her to look for me there. And, you know, hid around the corner and watched her stand there looking this way and that did you did you look did you I get to see what did she, what was she doing well she just she just stood there for a while waiting for the punchline right <laughs> waiting, waiting for me to pop up out of did a you feel bad or were you just like well played mr roderick well because because then the whole town felt like our clubhouse right i knew i was going to see her I knew we were both going to live forever. Mm -hmm. I knew that when we saw each other again, it would be exactly the same thing where I turned a corner and she was there. Or I walked into a bar and she was there or, you know, I snuck into her house in the middle of the night and she was there. There, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like it is now where you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. It's like, Hey, we've got to talk or, or the, you know, the corollary to that, which is, Hey, call me knowing that you're never going to knowing that like, you're going to run into this person periodically for the rest of your life, but you're never, ever going to go to a second location with them ever again. But back then it was like, maybe I'll never see you again. Maybe we'll get married. Who knows? Right. But why would I, uh, why would I pop the bubble on this moment? You know, that was, that was too, that was too precious. Yeah. And, um, and same thing with the, same thing with the headphones day. There was no need for us to stop at the stop after it was done and remark upon how amazing it was, you know, like yeah. that impulse to, to break the spell by commenting on it and to say like, Oh my God, thank you. Or, Oh my God, that was incredible. Or now you, now you, or, you know, it was just like, we, we didn't even go like, mm -hmm. it was like the, she, and, and I opened my eyes because she tapped me and it was clear that the tapping was, it's over. It wasn't like, okay, you can open your eyes now. It was all done in a spirit of this is, this is magic. This is how magic this is how magic works, you know, where you, where you know that so, the, the light on someone's front porch is out and you go to the store and you buy a light bulb and you come and you change the light bulb just, and, and then you're not hiding in the bushes to watch 
you just know that when they come home, they're going to look and say, that, why is that light working again? <laughs> you know, like yeah. those little gifts that have no, um, and I used to do things like that all the time. Just, just, um, change people's burned out light bulbs and make no reference to it because how hilarious <laughs> and it's not, there's, it's not a trick. It's not a dirty trick. It's just a, um, like, are there gnomes? And then a little, then a little voice from behind the, behind the clothes in the, in the closet. We're not gnomes, <laughs> uh, which was another gag we used to play on each other. Goddamn gnomes. We're not gnomes. I mean, between the, with you that, and the fixing the light bulbs and then making exploding cigarettes, I don't, I don't think anybody ever knew what to expect with you. Well, the exploding cigarettes, you better expect those. You still better. If you're smoking around me, you better expect I'm going to find a way to make your cigarette explode. But, but I do feel like that kind of magic we can still give, we can still do for one another, even if you're just in a, even if you're living together. Um, and I don't mean the kind of magic where you replace somebody's toothpaste with preparation H, but little, little, little magics, you know, little, and, and, and not magics that are like, honey, I made your favorite soup, but just there's the kind of moving stuff around, which is, which is destabilizing. And there's the kind of, because you expect if, if you're living with somebody and a light bulb gets changed, you know who did it. Right. It's the other person. The best you can do is thank you for changing the light bulb. You're welcome. But there are other opportunities for magic and, and um, I don't know, I keep looking for them. I, I keep looking for them. Like my neighbor, I sometimes will go over. I have, I have big buckets of rocks in my backyard that are all the rocks that I pulled out of the soil when I was – um, when I was, you know, first beginning to garden, filled up all these paint buckets with rocks and my neighbor has a situation in his driveway where when it really rains, the rain creates a pothole in front of his house. And after a while, when he drives into his driveway, he's kind of like bumping into the driveway. And I have these buckets of rocks. I have just buckets of rocks forever, right? I have 50 buckets of these rocks. And every once in a while I'll go over and dump a couple of buckets of rock in, rocks into his pothole. And the rocks look like they're the exact same rocks that are at the bottom of his pothole because I pulled these rocks out of my own garden. Right, they're like right. local rocks. But there is no reason in the world that these rocks should appear in his pothole. He doesn't know about my buckets of rocks. They're all the way in the back of my back 40. It's not like the city. I mean, the city doesn't fill potholes. In Seattle, the city doesn't fill potholes on First Avenue and Pine. It's sure as hell not. They're not sending trucks around to dump glacier rocks in people's driveways. So every year at some point in the spring, he's bumping down into his driveway. And then the next day it's filled in with it looks just like it's always been. Right. They don't even look like new rocks because they're not. They're these old dirty rocks. I have no idea what he thinks. I don't know. have no idea because it doesn't serve me to do, right? It's not my driveway. It's all the way down at the other side. I have no idea what he thinks about it. I've never said I, I'm the one that does it. He never brings it up to me. I. It's entirely possible that he doesn't even notice. But Right. Maybe he thinks the city came by and did it. He knows that the city didn't because he works for the city. <laughs> he, he better than anyone knows. Um, and he drinks a little, so maybe he doesn't even notice. But he's got to notice that that his bumper is dragging, and then one day he's driving into the house smooth as silk. Um, and that's not, and I'm not doing it even as a favor. Maybe the first time I did it it was like, Oh, he's got that hole. Let me go fill that in. But when, but then when I didn't mention it, when he didn't mention it, it's not even just to be nice. It's just to keep, keep the mystery going, keep the spell alive. Like there are gnomes in our neighborhood that keep fixing his driveway. 
And as, as God is my witness, I'll never say who they are. If he came to me and said, do you fix my driveway? I would be like, hmm, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, because, uh, because how much better is it to just either feel like the earth is regenerating or yeah, that there are, that there are, uh, gnomes. <laughs>